Hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you across our network, Rock Island here, Ben Dorf, those joining us online to week three of our three-week conversation around the oxymoron Christian atheist. Someone who says they follow Jesus as Lord, but lives as if everything is up to them. A Christian atheist. And we think that there are about three key areas where we tend to most often live this way. In areas of finances, fitness, and daily function. So we've been taking time to talk through each of those three areas through the grid of our heart, our health, and our habits. Heart, health, and habits. Because these are areas that we can end up living as a Christian atheist and not even know it. Not even know it. So we started our journey by laying the foundation around the heart. That the heart is a symbol of the center of our life. It, it represents our desires. Or the thing that has our attention, our affection. And many people say, just follow it. But as we've seen in our journey, that'll never work. Because our heart wasn't created to lead, it was created to follow. And it was specifically created to follow God. And until it is aligned to him through Jesus Christ, it'll never be satisfied. That's the reality of the heart. It doesn't lead, it follows. Now when it comes to the area of health, as we saw last week, that someone who follows Jesus Christ should live a disciplined life that leads to health. And health is more than just physical fitness in the body. There's more to it. And if you missed the heart or health conversation, you can find that at heritageqc.com. But as we continue today, one of the things we looked at last week was the reality that we have been created with spirit, mind, and body. Spirit, mind, and body. And even though this is a reality, this is the case, we tend to think that God is only interested in the spirit, that he doesn't care about the rest. But that's not true. He created all of it, and he cares about all of it. Yet many people can live a segmented life where they give God access to the spiritual things, but then take the body and the mind, and they live the way they want to in body and mind and not the way God wants them to. And every time we do that, he is really not our Lord, and we are living as a Christian atheist. Someone who believes, often genuinely and sincerely, but doesn't listen and obey. So we've laid the foundation, week one, by looking at the positioning of our heart. And in week two, we looked at how we discipline our body. And today, we're positioned to tackle our habits, which everybody's excited about. Not. You want to talk about heart and health? Yeah, everybody loves that. That's like puppies and butterflies. We'll talk about that all day. We want to talk about habits? Well, now we're starting to think like a, it, that's a minefield. That's a dangerous place to go, and we shouldn't go there. <laughs> but listen, habits are not inherently evil. Habits can be good and bad. We have good and bad habits. Like this, a brushing your teeth. Is that a good or bad habit? Good. That's a good habit, absolutely. How about another one? Bettendorf, get in on this. Uh, biting your fingernails, good or bad habit? That's a bad habit. There's germs and stuff in there. Don't do that. Okay, how about regular bathing? Good or bad? Good. Yes, please, and thank you. That's good. All right, last one. How about picking your nose? Good or bad? Albeit helpful, it's really bad practice. Bad one. Look, there are good and there are bad habits. And those are just hygiene habits. And there's lots of areas in our life that we can form habits. Because habits are simply an acquired pattern of behavior that we do enough that, that it almost becomes involuntary. That's a habit, and they can be good or bad. 
But the most significant ones impact spirit, mind, and body. And they affect things in our life that we may not fully realize. And as we continue the conversation into the habit reality, we got to understand which ones are most important because they position us for God to work in and through us and not have to work in spite of us. To never have to work in spite of us. Now, I don't want to focus our conversation around the do's and don'ts of habits, but really the how and the why. I think too often the conversation around habits gets reduced to just a list of good and bad, right and wrong. But it's really far more than that. See, even though habits play out in the body and they impact the spirit, they're often an issue of the mind. They're often just simply an issue of the mind. We do what we don't want to do. We have all done what we don't want to do. Every single one of us can relate to that. And every moment we have done that, we enter into this journey and battle with shame and regret. Each time we do what we don't want to do, it impacts our emotions and our relationships and our thinking. And it's honestly quite irritating and frustrating. But we do what we don't want to do. Even Paul who was a guy who was a missionary and church planter in the early church, and he wrote much of the New Testament, said this in Romans chapter 7. He said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, which is the body. In my flesh, the body. For I have the desire, that would be the mind, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, again, the mind, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing, the body. There is a tension in the mind and body whenever we try to separate it from the spiritual. Whenever we try to work on one without understanding the realities of the other. They are interconnected. And quite honestly, this may seem tricky and, and difficult, but we get this. We understand this. Some of us could have even written this as our own story and testimony. We get the realities of what Paul is saying. It happens. It happens in our actions. It happens in our thoughts. It happens in our words. And we can even resign ourselves just to live in it, just to settle for living in that pattern, to settle for less, to settle for a lesser life. Kind of like the people in this recent commercial. Check it out. Whoa. Father, why can't we have direct TV like the McGregors do? We're settlers, son. We settle for things, like having cable instead of direct TV. Hey, Jebediah, how's it going? Working the land, hoping for a fertile spring. All right. So we have to live with lower customer satisfaction? I'm afraid so. Now, go churn us some butter, boy, and then make your own clothes. Yes, sir. Don't be a settler. Yeah. Get rid of cable and upgrade to direct TV. That's awesome. I love that. Don't be a settler. Man, we can settle for lesser things in life. We can be settlers in our habits. We may not be plowing our front yard or churning butter or messing with our TV service provider, but we settle for lower satisfaction in other areas of life. Areas like finances and fitness and daily function are habits. And we end up stuck doing what we don't want to do. And too many of us settle for lesser lives. We may think that it's really no big deal. I can learn to cope with it. I can work around it. I can just exist within it. But it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Because what we do matters. 
That's actually your first fill-in if you're following along in your sermon note guide today, that what we do matters. What we do what? It matters. How we live in mind and body matters. It's not disconnected from the spiritual. Our daily choices either set us up for more of what God has for us or less. There is no neutral in our journey with God. What we do in spirit, mind, and body actually matters. And although, although living a doing what we don't want to do cycle happens, it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't. And we can't identify with Paul in saying we have a desire but not the ability to carry it out. But we can also live victoriously. We can stop the reoccurring trip into a contradictory oxymoron life as a Christian atheist. There's a way to break the pattern. We don't have to keep doing what we don't want to do. And that's where we're going today in our time together. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and just put your thumb in there because we're going to eventually land there. But there's a number of other scriptures I want to look at first. And these first two aren't in your note guide, but they are things that Jesus said and helped set the context for our, our time together. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a wonderful thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we are forgiven by Jesus, we're washed clean. We have that purity of heart, having aligned our heart to him. We get to see God. It's a wonderful thing. But it doesn't stop there, because Jesus also said this. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Hear the word of God and what? Obey it. Look, it's not just about finding forgiveness and being purified. It's not just about studying to the point that we have knowledge. There needs to be expression from that knowledge in obedience, in how we live. And what we do matters. Spirit, mind, and body set the stage. What we do determines what we can see, and it determines how God can bless. What we do matters. And when we obey, He goes before us. There's actually a reality that when we obey... He reveals himself to us. Jesus said that. He said, if we obey him, then then God will show himself to us. And so when we obey, there's revelation, the revealing of, of who he is, but also our next obedience. So obedience begets revelation, which begets further obedience. And as long as we continue to live in that cycle, he'll continue to pave the way for us and show us the moment we stop obeying and all shuts down. And he quits going before us. If we don't obey, we remain stuck in a doing what we don't want to do cycle. And until we obey, all that he is as God, all that he desires for us in hopes and dreams and an invitation to a great adventure, until we obey, all of that is locked away. And he won't even show us more about who he is until we have obeyed what he's already told us. So it's obey or be stuck, which is really why many people end up doing what they don't want to do over and over and over again. What we do matters. It's not just about us and what we experience. What we do matters because it ripples into this world and our influence and impact through our life. How God wants to work in and through us. It ripples into our fruit, which Jesus talked about fruit this way. He said, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Listen, this is like basic 101 teach it in kindergarten moment, right? 
But it's, it's actually deeper truth because of what Jesus goes on to say. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is, this is important because Jesus just got done explaining that we'll be known by our fruit. What we do matters. And, and this makes sense to us. Like, yeah, good tree, bad tree, good fruit, bad fruit. We get that. But then we tend to say fruit doesn't matter in our own individual lives. The moment that we settle for doing what we don't want to do, we've shifted. And we say, you know what, I, I know I'm not supposed to do that. I know that's not a good thing. I, I know I shouldn't be with that person, but it's okay because God knows my heart. That's messed up. That's not how it works. To say it doesn't matter what fruit I bear because ultimately God's just looking at my heart. The truth is fruit reflects the heart. And, and although it is true that God does know your heart, he knows your heart better than anybody else. He knows your heart, but he cares about your fruit. He can see who you are and understand who you are better than anybody else, including you. He knows your heart, but he cares about your fruit. And Christian atheists forget about the fact that he cares about the fruit. Obedience is key to freedom and fruit. Either we're obeying or not which means we're either stuck or not. We have fruit or not. And not obeying means we've chosen to follow someone else or something else, and we've settled for a lesser life. But our lives matter, and your life matters. And God wants to work in and through you in ways where you function as an ambassador of his, as a minister of reconciliation, as a witness of his. And, and our ability to do that, what we do matters for us and others because of that. And when we live as a Christian atheist, there is eternal implication and ripple for us and for others. In fact, Brendan Manning has a great statement. I'd love to read it too. He said this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. He's right, and he's describing a Christian atheist. Someone who separates out spirit, mind, and body, who functions one way on the weekend and another way on come Monday. And that's what a, a world that around us just simply cannot reconcile. What we do matters. Our habits and our obedience are a big deal. And the implications are huge. Yet most Christians in the United States are, are educated well beyond their level of obedience. We know a lot. We know what to do. We just don't do it. And we explain it away as we settle for less, as we become settlers in our spiritual lives. And every time we do that, when we live that way, habits take a lead role in our life. Habits take a lead role. And every bad habit we have, it starts out small. It starts out subtle and slow. But gradually over time, before we know we have the habit, that habit actually has us. And our life is out of whack. And we struggle to figure out how to get out of it. So let's go back to the wheel of wellness that we looked at last week. The wheel of wellness. I had to get that out of my system again. Okay, I'm ready now. Okay, so on the outside of this wheel, we have the mental wellness reality, and that's what we, how we think. The physical reality, which is what we do with our bodies. Emotional, what we do with the things that are internal to us. And social, how we relate with other people. Those form the outside of the wheel, but at the center is the spiritual. And the spiritual influences it all. It has primary control. It is actually the thing that should be leading. That's why it is at the center. 
But here's the deal. Whenever somebody does what they don't want to do and they're stuck in that cycle, it's a great indication that they have moved the mental into the center and pushed the spiritual out. And they're leading from the mind. Whenever we justify our actions, whenever we're doing what we don't want to do and say, it's okay because I actually deserve it. It's okay because I see what they got to do, so now I get to do this in response. Whenever we diminish the importance of the spiritual in the middle as the driving chain, driving chain of this whole process, whenever we move anything in the wheel, we have let the mental lead. We've rationalized it out. And here's the subtlety of that reality when we restructure the wheel. See, unhealthy habits are not primarily a body issue. They're a spiritual issue that's being led by the mental. We've restructured the wheel every time we do what we don't want to do. Each time we rationalize and justify our habits, we tell ourselves we deserve it based on the difficulty and loss. As we pay ourselves back for the sacrifice with an indulgence or an indiscretion, each time we're letting the mental lead instead of the spiritual. And it's why we do what we don't want to do. Habits reflect our spiritual. They lead our body, but they follow the mind. And that's why Scripture calls us to renew our mind, to be transformed. See, God is powerful enough to lead us and make us holy. He's powerful enough to help us live a holy life like Him. We are not condemned to a life of disobedience. He doesn't just leave us stuck in a cycle that has no way out. He offers us a way out. It is through Jesus. What we get through Jesus is often far more than we realize. It, it, it's more than forgiveness. We get forgiveness. We get the purity that comes so that we can see God. But it's more than purity. It's more than forgiveness. We, we receive new life. We receive new purpose. And we receive new power to live that life by His Spirit. With the spiritual at the hub. See, in Romans, we can read this further, what Paul wrote. He said previously, which he's talking about before Jesus, before Jesus was Lord in your life, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness. Those would be bad habits, ungodly habits, which led even deeper into sin, doing what we don't want to do, doing what we don't want to do. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, godly habits, so that you will become holy. You will become like Jesus. This is powerful, wonderful truth. The Lord wants us to be like him, and he's made a way for that to happen. But he wants more than our belief. He wants our heart. He wants more than our faith. He wants our spirit, body, and mind. He wants everything. He wants our habits. Because ultimately, the reality of our habits is that our habits define our journey. Our habits define our journey. There's no choice here. Last week I talked to you about emotions and, and letting emotions inform your journey and not shape and define. I cannot offer you that here in the conversation around habits. Habits are different. Habits may lead our body, but they thrive in the mind. Habits that are bad distract us, and what distracts us often then defines us. So bad habits distract and then define our journey. 
And that's why good habits are so important. That's why we need to step away from the things that we shouldn't be pursuing and pursue the things of God. Because it's good habits or holy habits that facilitate a journey towards holiness. And they involve daily uh, offering our bodies to God in righteous living so that you will become holy. Offering our bodies in righteous living. That kind of life cannot be lived for long, if at all, if we don't truly love Jesus. When habits are done out of duty and obligation, instead of love, they don't last. Oh, they'll take us to a point. We have enough willpower and determination to make it down the road a bit. But at some point, they fail. Because good, godly, holy habits are not done in our strength, in our determination, or our willpower but rather they were the result of allowing Jesus into every area of our life and then asking him and allowing him to use his power to transform them. Spiritual at the center, leading every other area. That transformation starts when we give Jesus authority in our life. When we submit to him all that we are just as we are. When we do that, everything begins to change. And it starts with a simple conversation with Jesus where we acknowledge the junk in our life, all the stuff we've done that we didn't want to do. We ask him to forgive us, but then we move into a place where we are transformed with new life and new purpose and new power and we live differently. And if that's something you've never done, I encourage you to do that today. You can have that conversation. On the back of the sermon note guide are a couple of simple steps and an example prayer. This is the place to start where you can begin to experience life to the full, the way that God has created you and called you. You give Jesus authority, he begins to change everything in your life, and your wheel starts to roll. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to that Second Peter passage. If you don't have a Bible, it's in your note guide. Most of it's in there, and it's also going to be on the screen. This is the second letter written by Peter, and Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. It was a powerful testimony in his journey. But Peter's writing to a group of people about things like low morals and poor models and increasing martyrdom and false teachers. And there's some growing fear around all these realities. And so he writes to warn and admonish. And I actually want to pick up this passage in verse 3, which is not in your note guide. So you can just follow along up here on the screen or in your own Bible. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need. Need. Not want, which is the mind. Everything we need. For a godly life, a holy life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is powerful truth. Jesus has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Out of his own glory and goodness, we have everything. Everything to live a life that pleases God, we have in Jesus as we continue on in verse 4, we can read further. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, in being holy. To participate in his holiness, the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world, doing what we don't want to do. Escaping the cycle of doing what we don't want to do, which is caused by evil desires. This is fantastic. Peter says we don't have to keep doing what we don't want to do. We can break away. We can turn our back completely on all the junk and not do what we don't want to do. We can be holy. 
We can live differently because of Jesus. And we already have all that we need to do that if Jesus is our Lord. If he's not our Lord, we're missing some components to be able to live fully in this. But if he is, we have it all. And Peter points out, in the midst of that, we still have to do our part. And this is where we pick up back in the note, guys, starting at verse 5. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of, and he, and he identifies seven things, and I encourage you to underline, circle, highlight these seven things. Generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Peter identifies seven virtues that are connected. They're connected like links in a chain. One leads to the next. You can't skip them. You take one away, it affects the other ones. If one is weaker or underdeveloped, it impacts the ones around it. We need all fully. And I wonder, as you look at these seven things, which of them do you see in your life and which of them are missing? Which of them are developed well and which ones are underdeveloped? We need all seven to live the holy, godly life that we are called to. And I wonder what the status is in your life. You know, I originally had intended to spend some time explaining each of these and unpacking some specific examples for each one. But just to be totally honest and transparent with you, it was yesterday afternoon that God started pushing on me about that section of our time today. Started just pushing on the reality that it wasn't the right way to use our time. That that has value, but there was another principle, another pattern that he really needed us to talk about. And so I want to take time right now to do that, to make space to talk about that principle and dynamic that he has laid on my heart for us to understand. In order to do that, it means we're not going to fill in all the blanks in our sermon note guide. <sighs> Don't worry, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to get to those things at another point, another conversation. But if it bothers you that they're empty, when we're all said and done, I encourage you to just fill in with your best guess. Hang on to it and see if you're right down the road when we do talk about those things. But what I want to do right now, out of obedience, is talk to you about a principle and a pattern that I think, by how we handle it, either, either helps us or hurts us in doing what we don't want to do in that cycle that we get caught up in. It's the principle of a dot day. D-O-T. Dot. It's not Department of Transportation. That's not what that stands for. It stands for desire, opportunity, and time. These three things, when they align, we do what we don't want to do. You remove any one of them from the equation, and we actually stop before we do what we don't want to do. It happens every time. When these align, every time we do what we don't want to do. If you can think of every regret, every sin moment in your life, as you think back through that moment, it was a period where these three things aligned. When desire, opportunity, and time aligned. If you could have removed one of those from the equation, you wouldn't have done what you did. Things would have gone differently. You wouldn't have done what you didn't want to do. When desire and opportunity and time align, we do what we don't want to do. Desire. This is where things stir within us, in our emotions, within our, our relationships, within our physical bodies, within our mind. 
And if we do not keep those things in check, those unguarded, unchecked desires become a place of vulnerability for us. Beyond that, it's inevitable that there will be an opportunity that arises. The space where we have an opportunity to sit at the computer. An opportunity where we can see or grab the thing we want. An opportunity where we can be with the person we know we shouldn't be with. It's inevitable that opportunities will arise. If we do not keep that in check, ultimately it leads into the reality of time. Having the time to do the thing we don't want to do. Having the time to do that activity. Having the time to say the words. Having the time to satisfy the craving. Having the time to consume the thing we shouldn't consume. Or or having the time, ultimately, to reach a level of arousal. When these three things align, it creates a space for us to step back into habits and impurities and addictions that we don't have to when Jesus has already freed us. Whenever we allowed a dot day to align, we're settling for a lesser life. This is another area that we can be a settler. The truth is we don't have to. When Jesus is our Lord, we actually have a choice. We can go back to impurity, but Jesus gives us a choice. And we can, instead of letting the desires of our flesh take over, we can let a desire for him and his purposes prevail. We can avoid the opportunities, not give ourselves the the space to sit down at the computer or to sit alone or to go spend time with that person we know we're not supposed to be with, to not make the second pass around the office or drive around the block to see if they're still outside. Don't create the opportunity. Or even just simply don't allow the time in your schedule for it to happen. Don't allow the space to be created for the opportunity and desire to be filled. If we can just remove one of them, everything begins to change. And and we can go back to impurity, and we can do the thing we don't want to do, but in Jesus we don't have to. He gives us a choice. But if Jesus is not your Lord, if you've not given him authority in your life, you're stuck in this. You continue to do what you don't want to do. Sin rules in your life. Mental drives the train and not the spiritual. And you continue to do the dot day over and over again. But in him, he sets you free. And if he is your Lord, you have a choice. And you don't have to go back. It's making sense. Look, this conversation that we're having around Christian atheists... This is not just about doing right things. It's about navigating wrong things. Avoiding wrong things. Avoiding the dot day moments in our life. And the seven things that Peter mentions are things that we're to be pursuing in increased measure. Because they position us in a manner to be able to avoid the dot days. To manage desire, opportunity, and time when they come up. They help us manage and navigate the dot days. And as Peter says next, here's what that means. The more you grow like this, the more you grow in those seven things, the the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the more impact you'll have, the more effective you'll be, the, the more ability God has to work in and through you rather than work in spite of you. But those who fail to develop in this way, those who fail to develop those seven things, who who embrace a dot day alignment, are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Cleansed. Jesus cleans us. We don't have to go back. He continues on, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen, that you're not a Christian atheist. Work hard at it. Be disciplined. Do these things and you will never fall away. What we do matters. And there are there are, these are the qualities. These seven things are the qualities that we need to possess. We don't get to pick which qualities. If we could just say, well, actually, I want to do these things and not these things, then he's not our Lord. 
Like, these things matter, but I'm not going to do those things, God. No. Listen, you're living as a Christian atheist. He said, these are the things that matter, and these are the things that will position you to avoid the dot-day realities in your life. He's in charge. We don't get to make our own list. If we are allowing God to lead, we don't decide. He does. And when we forget that he's in charge, or we forget that we have been washed clean by Jesus from our past, it is easy to step back into impurity, to forget and embrace dot-day moments. We can revert to impurity, but in Jesus we have a choice. Because we have been cleansed. So don't settle. Don't settle. Let's take this to so what as we get ready to wrap up. Listen, willpower, self-discipline, determination, they only take us so far. They will get us down the road, but at some point they break down and fail. They always fail. We have human frailty, we have an enemy that seeks to trip us up, and we actually need the Spirit of God to work in us to live in freedom. We need His love to control us. Here's what we can read in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us. That's where our desire rests. That's what we do in opportunity and time. Because we have concluded that this, that we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. When we submit to the lordship of Jesus, we no longer live for ourselves. And we pursue those seven virtues that Peter identified, and we remove the moments that dot days provide. We don't just accidentally live for ourselves. We don't blindly do what we don't want to do. We may not realize what we're doing fully or understand fully what it means, but it doesn't just happen. We make decisions to do or not do. But when Jesus controls us, when we are controlled by his love, we live differently. And last week we saw, Paul said that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our act of spiritual worship. We do that in our habits. We do that when we avoid a dot day, when we ultimately change our behavior. Someone once said that the best apology is changed behavior. And I think they're right. The best apology is changed behavior. If we ask God to forgive us and then go back to the same behavior, guess what? We have not been truly repentant. To truly go through the process of repentance is not just to ask for forgiveness, but to actually have a turning where we no longer go back to that behavior. We change our behavior. That is what repentance is. And the best apology is changed behavior. So if you're seeking God, for God to do a new thing in your habits, change your behavior. Remove one factor in your dot days. Ask him to help you avoid the dot day. After Paul says, off your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, he goes on to say this in verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world. The pattern of this world says the mental should lead. The pattern of this world says the physical and emotional and social should lead. And the spiritual is separate from all of them. Don't follow the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. The renewing of your mind. When we let the mind and mental lead, the whole wheel gets messed up. But renew your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's an issue of the mind. When we do what we don't want to do. And we stop habits first in the mind. And we need to ask Jesus to renew our mind. And then ask him to renew our self-control and our brotherly kindness, and our love, and all seven realities. That's how we avoid a dot day. And we only do this 
through Jesus. We only do this when he reigns and rules in our life. It's not in our own power. It's in his. So as we get ready to wrap up our Christian Atheist series, we land here today. We each have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to change, to make a commitment. I want to ask you to pray a simple prayer this week. You may need to start with the prayer that's on the back of the sermon note guide so that you step into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But then after that, I want to encourage you to pray Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I dare you to pray that prayer sincerely, asking God to work through heart and mind and body. So here's what I want to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray. But if you have been hearing God calling you to himself in this series... You have been hearing him inviting you to stop the cycle of doing what you don't want to do. If you're ready to align your heart to him by aligning your treasure to him, if you're ready to discipline your body and care for the temple of the Holy Spirit in a new way, if you're ready to have your mind renewed and not let your mind lead, but let the Spirit lead you, then I want to invite you to stand with me right now. I want to invite you to stand in response to what God is asking of you. As I get ready to pray, I invite you to stand with me and saying, Lord, search me. Lord, see if there's anything in me. Lord, have your will and way in me. As a commitment, as a declaration to say, Lord, I hear you. And I'm no longer going to separate body, mind, and spirit. But I give you authority in my life. If God has been speaking, you, speaking to you in this series, I invite you to stand with me right now. I invite you to stand with me as I pray, as a declaration that you are hearing God and you are choosing to obey so that he will continue to reveal himself to you and you can live in the obedience and revelation reality of a life not marked by doing what you don't want to do anymore. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love that you have made a way for us to have relationship with you. I thank you, God, that you have, you have created us with spirit, mind, and body. And I pray that you would forgive us for where we try to separate those things out and just give you the spiritual things, but to keep the body and mind to ourselves. God, forgive us for where we have allowed dot days to prevail, where we've allowed desire, where we've allowed the physical, where we've allowed just opportunity to prevail. And we have done what we didn't want to do. I pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. And I pray too, Father, as well, that you would help us to stand firm, that you would search our thoughts, that you would, that you would work through our mind, God, that you would search every part of who we are so there's any way in us that is offensive to you, that we would release that to you, and you would make us whole. God, I thank you for your invitation to, to just renew, transform, and refine our heart, our health, and our habits. And as we as a church family wrap up the conversation, I pray that you would continue to speak to each one of us. And as we hear you say, go. As we hear the next step, may we step boldly and courageously into the next thing. For your glory, God. Because it is in your power that that is done. It is for your glory and purpose that, that you call us to yourself. And I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to live the life you've called us to. I love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.